Hello and welcome to Dragon Bites, the podcast aimed at paediatric trainees or anyone interested in child health. I'm Asim, one of the paediatric trainees here in Wales. Today we're trying something completely different. We're going to be discussing reflections. Our team at Dragon Bites has asked for trainees around Wales to voluntarily send in reflections they've written for their e-portfolio for us to discuss with consultants and more senior registrars. Today's reflection is titled Over the Wall. A trainee discusses their experiences with the charity Over the Wall and the influence and impact that's had upon them as a paediatrician. Stacey Harris will read out the reflection for us all to listen to and then discusses the reflection with Gillian Boddy, one of our general paediatric consultants, and Kate Burke, one of our neonatal grid trainees. To tell them apart, Kate Burke's the scouser. Anyway, let's get started. This summer, I volunteered as a member of the Beach Patrol medical team at an over-the-wall camp for children and young people with health challenges. This was my second camp as a clinical volunteer and seventh overall. I was the beach patrol member for a team of eight 13 to 14 year olds, all with different medical needs. These needs ranged from daily medication to overnight feeds. The campers also had conditions that carried different levels of stigma and were affected in different ways by their illnesses. My role was to provide medical care for the campers as their parents would be at home. This included giving medications correctly and on time, managing any problems that arose, example, a slipping NG tube, setting up feeds and fitting these in on busy days and advising non-medical volunteers about how best to look after the campers, mostly making sure no one fell in the lake and providing sun cream. I was also on hand for any red calls or emergencies. The camp is the one week of the year where I spend all day with a group of young people. I get to know them as people first and medical condition very much second. And I am always amazed at the journey campers follow during the camp and how much I learn from them. My communication skills with teenagers continue to improve every time I volunteer and I have felt the difference this makes when assessing young people in CAU. I find that speaking to young adults as themselves, not as parent's child, and respecting the fact that they have their own ideas, concerns and expectations, has stood me in good stead for building rapport with teenagers with medical and mental health difficulties on general paediatric wards. I have also found the use of humour to be particularly helpful in connecting with this group. This year, a camper taught me how to set up a feed through a Mickey button and another taught me how to set up a growth hormone subcat injection. Others taught me the power of perseverance. He learned to flip a fidget spinner over a week's worth of meals and the power of friendship. Firm friends were made by the camper with just one friend at home and her confidence rocketed. I also saw how the sick roll could impact on these campers. A camper who was brought to camp in a wheelchair by his parents walked out having not touched the wheelchair for a week. A camper who never set up his own feeds taught me how to do it. He was very capable, but has always let others take over. I also learnt a lot about leadership and teamwork 
Balancing medical needs and participation in camp activities can be difficult and discussing managing this balancing act with one of the non-medical volunteers required diplomacy and tact. This was particularly difficult as I was the only member of the team who was aware of exactly what health challenges the campers had. The members of the team who worked particularly well together, sharing tasks efficiently and delegating appropriately, were those who made an effort to get to know each other. This took extra time and effort, discussing after the campers had gone to bed, but had tangible benefits for the team as a whole. This could be compared to arranging and attending team meals and eating together at lunchtime and work. A social effort, but worth it to improve the team dynamic. One thing that struck me was a conversation I had with a student nurse who was helping and shadowing a nurse as part of the beach patrol. She said she always felt that doctors were scary and unapproachable and she would not feel happy to ask a doctor about their decision making or challenge them or actually speak to them at all. This saddened and shocked me. I would be mortified to think that student nurses at work didn't feel they could approach me. By the end of the week, the student nurse said her attitude had changed, both because we had discussed issues together and I had turned out not to be scary, and because she gained confidence in her own abilities after gaining new skills at camp. Volunteering in the beach patrol is one of the most level hierarchies I have worked in. Nurses and doctors have slightly different roles at camp. Doctors have to prescribe all the medications, controlled drug checks have to include a nurse, and the nurses are first on call overnight while doctors are second on. However, there is a great respect that all of us have given up a week of our time to volunteer, and all of us bring useful and different skills. It feels like a team of equals bringing complementary skills. Working like this, does bring a different perspective to working with nurses in other settings and is beneficial to building a real multidisciplinary team. The camp vibe is of inclusivity and fun. E-learning before camp talks about using person-first language, i.e. a child with asthma, not an asthmatic child, or even worse, the asthma in bed too. We are also taught about I statements in behavioural management where you talk about how behaviour has made you feel without blaming the child for the behaviour or worse, labelling the child as naughty or bad. For example, I feel worried that the noise you're making is keeping others awake. Instead of, Billy, stop making so much noise. This is difficult in practice, but can be very effective. Inclusive language is encouraged, as is being mindful that not everybody fits traditional family models. This would mean asking, Who's coming to pick you up? Not, are your parents coming to get you? This makes everybody, volunteers and campers, feel at home and feel that they can be themselves at camp. The whole week is about the campers having the best time they can, which means being observant, responsible, doing countless nose counts, carrying coats and water bottles and being silly. Several volunteers were gunged. This means that camp life is quite selfless and very different to my home life where I can do as I please. Focusing on others for a week gave me a fresh perspective on life where I gained satisfaction by making other people happy. Each time I come home from camp, I feel that I have pushed a professional reset button. I remember why I choose to be a paediatrician and I feel energised and enthusiastic about providing the best care I can to children and families. 
I feel that my patients benefit from me going to camp because I have gained an understanding of how medical conditions affect children and young people and I can communicate more effectively with them and now use people first language far more often and naturally and work better in a multidisciplinary team. I have gained practical skills I would not have gained during training and developed my teamwork and leadership skills quickly in an intense environment. This has improved my confidence in my own skills and I hope that this continues for the rest of the year. I feel that camp is a fantastic and educational experience for anyone who works with children and especially paediatric trainees. I am therefore telling everyone who will listen about the camp and have prepared a presentation about my experiences at Over the Wall for Paediatric Careers Day, a national course this autumn. So hi, I'm joined by uh, Dr Kate Burke. She's uh, an ST8 in neonatal grid and um, Dr Gillian Boddy and she's a consultant paediatrician in University Hospital of Wales in Cardiff. Uh, thank you very much for joining me. Um, so we've I've, you've had a chance to have a little read through the uh, reflection, um, and I was just wondering what you thought was good about it. Well, I think the first thing that came to me was actually how nice it was to have a reflection about a really positive, positive experience. I think we're quite good at being critical or talking about things when there's been a disaster or an emergency, or perhaps when we felt a bit out of control. And I just I like the fact that. This was a very positive, positive reflection. Actually, just really positive about paediatrics, which I think is also really important <laughs> when, uh, you know, when we're heading into winter and there's lots of training issues and issues that affect us all through work. I think this was just really nice and positive. Mm. Did you think? Amy? Yeah, I thought it was great. I, I agree. How often do we just read something that's a positive account of not even necessarily paediatrics, just but just young people in general and and the you know the joy it is to work with young people sometimes <laughs> and the horror that it is other times. But it was nice to just have a reflection that was clearly so positive and that actually took place outside of the hospital as well because I think my experience in writing reflections is that I don't often think of things that happen outside the hospital which are directly relevant and they might be really interesting things to reflect upon equally as much as the things that do happen at work. Yeah and I think as a as a trainer and a supervisor I think I it's easy for us to forget because we've been there and done that I think it's really easy to forget that our trainees do a phenomenal amount of stuff outside the hospital and add so much to people's lives you know and what they learn from that does have a great influence on work as yeah. well. Yeah, I love the bit where she said that every time she goes on camp, she really learns how to speak to teenagers better and yeah. that helps her work in CAU. And I, I was like, maybe I, I, I need, need to, to do, do that. that. Yeah. <laughs> I know, I'm so, I'm so going on one of these camps. It's yeah. amazing, doesn't it? Yeah. <laughs> and I think we all think that, don't we? You know, we all go on holiday to recharge or we go and spend time with kids or we go and climb a mountain or sing loudly or bash a drum or whatever we do but I think what I really liked as well as being really positive was that she started to pick out the things where that was going to influence on her work one of my big bugbears is something she's mentioned the child with no an asthmatic child or the diabetic and we all do it it's so easy to do um and in fact, I know it's one of the things we at the college we're really trying to take out of the college exams because occasionally it slips through into our exam questions. Mm. And I think 
it's so important to remember that they're the patient who happens to have that because that's our aim isn't it we're treating children we're aiming to get them whatever we do so they can be children taking part in everything and all life and activities and if we start defining them by their illness we're just starting on the wrong the wrong foot yeah the bit about inclusive language I really enjoyed as well and and sort of yeah I think that's another thing you never think of like actually reflecting on the semantics of a situation and the consequences that has for how we actually work but it's right you know what's pointed out here and not just I mean we've she you know the part where she asks who is coming to pick you up rather than are your parents coming to pick you up we've all made that horrible mistake where you walk into room and go mum and dad and it's grandma and granddad or (laughs) someone not related at all and it's just great to have it written down as a reminder and a prompt and I think it's really insightful to, to, to sort of pick that out and make a point of it because it is part yeah. of our everyday work that we probably don't think about enough in that way. Yeah, and I liked as well the um, the bit about blaming the... talking about how a behaviour's made you feel and that's... I mean, you'll start seeing that coming through in um, interesting things like APLS feedback now is very much moved to this. So, so in this occasion she said... Um, I'm worried the noise you make is keeping others awake rather than telling someone to stop making such noise. And we do that again in feedback, you know. I noticed you did X. Can you tell me a bit more about it? Or why why did you get to that point? Or that was difficult? Rather than tell me what you did well and tell me what you did, did badly. And certainly when it, those work really well, it's a really effective way because it just stops people and thinks, oh, yes, that's true. I yeah. did do that or... Oh, great, you noticed that. Fantastic. You know, I noticed you took care of the mum during that recess. Not You you were standing at the back do, not doing much. Or what were you doing standing at the back? It's just a totally different thing. And I think we can take that through as well. Telling parents to stop smoking. You know, do you smoke? Oh, I only smoke outside. Well, if you say, oh, yeah, but we know smoke carries, that doesn't help. But if you say, brilliant, you've realised smoking has an influence on your child's health, can we help you stop any more? They might still say no, but it's acknowledging positive steps that people have made or acknowledging a behaviour change, and I think that's really important. And how powerful the language we use can be oh. in that process for people rather than alienating them, really yeah. bringing them in. Yeah. And, um, yeah, I think that that, for me, really stood out for this reflect from this reflection is that sort of yeah that concentration on the exact language that we use and it sounds like the e-learning before the camp was absolutely brilliant I'd like to do that e-learning as well because it sounds like you know something really positive and useful from a from a communication point of view and that's one of the things I was thinking that maybe as a as a the follow-on from this reflection whether she could have written about how she might introduce that, you know, or make it available, or whether other things available. Yeah, so, or do a teaching session do on teaching inclusive session. language, which she's clearly now gained some insight into. Yeah. It'd be a great outcome from from this yeah. reflection. Yeah, because you and I both say, "Gosh, we'd like to do." Wouldn't mm. that be great? So maybe not the stuff that's available for the, from the charity specifically, but is the you know has she looked and seen are there great little other podcasts or other um you know online things that are available and mm. to highlight that because that i think that'd be brilliant um in terms of other people then learning from from her experiences mm. yeah, but that was one of the things that i really loved about this as well and i was thinking maybe this should be part of our training we should yes. all get to go off and and do this yeah. <laughs> it could be brought in as a little week out of, out of place but the <laughs> 
What yeah. do you think? Yeah. <laughs> Maybe. Well, I think any way of talking to teenagers, I think, you know, I'm a bit older than you guys and teenagers are even younger than me, but they do seem like a whole new breed sometimes. And uh, I think it is really hard to, to get our language right. To get our approach right. To get our approach right. And, and for teenagers who perhaps have been in the healthcare system, perhaps in some ways, almost as long as some of our trainees. And I think, you know they know it they've been there they've said it 12 times and actually really empowering them and perhaps the college and us group and the young people's work is something we should also point out to trainees to get involved in mm. absolutely and what did you think about when you mentioned about teamwork you know about um, not having a hierarchy and things like that yeah that's interesting isn't it because i think we like to think that in pediatrics we're all really approachable mm. and we all understand the value of everyone else and so it's interesting isn't it? she, she said she felt completely saddened that a student nurse said she would never ask or challenge because um, you think well I think in my work we're well, I think I'm approachable but then you think well I'm probably not and mm. you know and I'm again older than some of the, the trainees and I know that you know I see trainees having very different relationships with nurses but I think and other members of the teams but I think that helps helps in some ways because they're not afraid of asking things but doesn't help perhaps other members of the team who perhaps they want to give feedback so mm. I think that's quite an interesting mm. Well, she describes this moment where ev- the respect that emerges from everyone coming together and giving up a week of their time to volunteer and so on. And I think that, yeah, although we all consider paediatrics to be a quite a flat hierarchy, I think that because we, the trainee doctors rotate through jobs, there are all these sort of implicit hierarchies where when you're new, even though you are nominally more senior as the registrar than the nurse who's been there for 11 years you're ultimately deferent to them because you know that they know more than you about the context you're working in and you might have very specific information but by and large they will guide you in a way Mm. that's useful and helpful and appropriate so I think that um, hierarchies is something that we don't talk about enough we say that we hope that paediatrics is a level hierarchy and we try to emphasize that at things like APLS and NLS and so on but it's actually a really complex terrain to navigate as a trainee and probably as a consultant as well I was going to say it does yeah, carry on where where am i in in how can i how can i be both authoritative and respectful and mm. assertive but display humility and so on and obviously coming together in a situation like this camp provides a lovely opportunity to just start again doesn't it sort of on a blank slate essentially um and it's interesting how she contrasts that with the realities of the situations that we do work in when we come to our come to our jobs every day um but that made me feel really sad as well that Mm. um that you know that she that that had been such a stark difference for her but also that you know that one of the student nurses had had this experience of feeling like we as doctors were not particularly approachable yeah i mean how terrible i, I you know and and that's obviously something that we are doing or something that the education system that nurses go through is doing to make them feel that you know approaching a doctor or challenging a doctor or asking a question is yeah. is to be taken with some gravity you know yeah you would hope that that isn't the case but perhaps it is and that's interesting because I always think that nursing students act up into a role more quickly than our trainees you know the nursing students do their last week or their last placement as management mm-hmm. and so they take it in turns at running the ward and being in charge and and you think I 
I'd always thought that that would give them some sort of confidence to think they could approach people or or say something, and it isn't. But I'd, what she hasn't talked about here is how perhaps she can now take that back um, and what things she could do back in her workplace mm. to help that. Um, I think even often just explicating your experience is a useful thing. Like I would love to hear this doctor stand up and talk about this at an MDT because mm. I'm sure that actually just pointing out that that was her experience would make people feel completely differently about you know about their role and responsibility within a team. It's actually it's your right to challenge, but it's actually also your responsibility to yeah. challenge decisions yeah. that you don't feel are good. And I think sometimes we say that at APLS and so on, but it doesn't, for some reason, it doesn't always join up no. in the right way. No. Um, and how do we how do we make sure that it does? How do we emphasise it and, and make sure that it becomes yeah. part and parcel of everyday work? Yeah. And I think perhaps in, there'll be some, perhaps there's some work environments where that would be easier to take that conversation back and say, look, this happened. How can we change that in our ward environment? And perhaps if you work in a small unit, I'm thinking perhaps in neonates where you're, though I know neonatal units aren't small anymore, but where you've got a very confined team, mm. perhaps that is a place that's perhaps a bit easier, whereas if you work in a very big hospital and you dot in and out of different wards, that also adds its layers of challenges. Um, but whether it is something that needs to be looked at by teams or whether this trainee has gone back now and said, look, this was the experience, how can we empower our nurses to say something or yeah. or our junior doctors to say when they don't like the yeah. decision that their seniors made or the consultants made you know and really make sure that people we really do mean it when we say anyone can ask us a question you know please don't be afraid to do that we ran a particular um type of intervention on NICU the pace intervention which is designed to sort of like basically it's a graded assertiveness tool for people and we trained everyone in it the student nurses the secretaries everyone else and it made such a difference to the way people communicate because when you saw them start to use the tool yeah. you knew you were being challenged so you, it, it basically it basically made sure that you explicated your reasoning yeah immediately rather than waiting to the point where it's it actually rather than just being a I need to know more about why you're doing this to the point where it becomes hostile and yeah. someone is like, I don't like what you're doing, you know. So it's amazing how those small interventions can can make a massive impact. But what I do realise now is that we didn't go back to the student nurses and ask them, you know, are you more empowered? We've trained you in this tool, but has, yeah. it, has it changed the way yeah. you feel you can approach us? And I think we do things like encourage student nurses to attend Huddle or to come on our yeah. ward rounds, but do we actually know that that makes them feel any more included or valued? You know, no. do we ask the right question at the end to get no, maybe not. to know mm. if our interventions are working? So what is this pace? Probe, yeah. assertive, challenge, and then an emergency and it's basically just it's it's a graded assertiveness tool so you say I'm just asking why you're doing that I can't understand your read reasoning that's the probe assertiveness is is that the right decision I would have done it like this challenges I actually don't think that's the right decision um please yeah. and then emergency is stop we're not doing the right thing. So it's just a graded assertiveness tool. But it's amazing how once you're tuned into it, you recognise the P, you start to recognise the P immediately and the P makes you then expose all of your thinking. Um, and, and certainly it's been a really successful intervention um, 
particularly sort of in um, resuscitations or reintubations and so on to make people feel that they can challenge if they feel like something isn't moving forward in the right way. Mm. Yeah, I've seen it used in um, simulation teaching for on a sort of step up to registrar or stepping up to the middle grade rotor course. You know, in a uh, a sick baby scenario that did need an LP at some point, but actually at this point was crashing, and the registrar, new registrar, was on the phone to the consultant who was just saying, just do the LP. You know I like LPs. Do the LP. <laughs> and a strategy was saying, no, I'm not going to do it. Why do you want me to do it? No. And then eventually saying, no, I'm not doing it. Um, it's, it is it is quite interesting when you've had tried to have that conversation, then you rerun the sim saying, right, here's some tools. Um it just it just it makes it gives people it, the edge. Yeah, it gives people a format which makes them feel like they can confidently yeah. assert themselves in a non-confrontational think, yeah, way. I think it also gives the challenger the opportunity to voice why they're unhappy. And I think sometimes perhaps you might not have made that clear as to why you don't want to do an LP or whatever it is. Mm. Um, but it gives you a chance to say this. You know, why do you want to do it? This is why I don't want to do it. Mm. Uh, and I think so it just helps you formulate your thoughts. I think mm. it came from the airline industry mm. to give anyone did. in the, yeah, you know, the cabin. The it's one of the ones that are... Human factors tools. Human factors yeah. tool. Yeah, yeah. I've realised there's loads of these things that we can use from outside, actually, in, inside mm. medicine. Yeah. yeah. Um, what did you think about... She learned a lot from patients, didn't she? What do you think about that? You well, know? there was the bit about the um, N, not NG, peg feeding, wasn't mm. it? Um, and actually, I liked the bit as well about the camper arriving um, in the wheelchair and then walking out and I think that's fantastic I think we constantly underestimate what our patients can do I think we constantly constantly underestimate what children can do and I think when we get to teenagers we're perhaps even more not critical I think we're more presumptive about what we think they might think or what they might think about their medical care or what they might want but I think that's I think that's brilliant. I think actually as a doctor saying, I'm quite a senior doctor, but actually I don't know how that works. This is something mm. you deal with every day, your family deal with every day. I actually don't our nursing staff deal with every day. I've yeah. got no idea. Show me how it works. Show me how yeah. to do that. Mm. And how empowering for that young person to think, actually, I have got control of this. I do know my I do know my medical condition. I can self care. To a pop, you know, we don't do the rest of it, but just in that, even if that's one bit that they feel they're in charge of, yeah, and I can know. teach a doctor how to do it. That's pretty cool. Yeah, how empowering. And I think that with the focus on transition that's happened in the last few years, there's lots of lovely examples here of things that have emerged from transition. We've started to ask ourselves, you know, like how can we best support young people in these transitions in life but I think what she demonstrates here is the power of taking someone out of their normal environment and just valuing them as an individual you know as a a, not as a patient or as a person with asthma or whatever else but as a human being going about the earth with various pragmatic difficulties to be managed and dealt with and I think what you know what does this story tell us it tells us that this kid can do this all by themselves and for whatever reason in that family system they let someone else do it and that might be because you know what it might be entirely reasonable and it might be half an hour a day where they don't have to think about their illness it might be that a parent or a carer really values doing that as an act of love or as an act of being t- attentive and tender yeah. or it may be just they haven't thought about it and they yeah. need to revisit it yeah. and think is there some way we can move this forward and um, empower you to do it yourself yeah 
I do think that that comment you made then about actually do they want someone else to do things so they don't have to think about it I think it's really important to remember because we do you see now the children with a new diagnosis of diabetes for instance from a very young age being taught to do their injections to test to be involved and that's really important so they know but I've also heard of patients who just could say I just want a month or a week or a weekend when someone else is in charge of it and I can just be a kid yeah. and I don't have to worry about that yes I know I'm gonna to have to for the rest of my life and it is part of me but actually I just I just want to do the normal things I want to not worry about doing the medical things. so I think it's really important actually from this to look at both both to sides think about of it. what underpins the behavior yeah. or the action because there'll be so many motivations um, at play that we as clinicians only get such a slither of an insight into but yeah. trying to expose that more is such a valuable process yeah. where you can and that that really jumped out at me is that description of you know like these kids are clearly enormously capable as children almost always are yeah. what made them what made them want to be different for this yeah. week you know yeah yeah that's what struck me is that we feel like we know quite a lot about these conditions and how it affects children but I don't think we have any idea really do we until we've been in a, such a sort of situation and been with them and uh, seen them as a person and how they deal with it and things then yeah. I think we can learn a lot can't we and I think some of these things also empower their parents suddenly so suddenly they they were with some kids and now they've got a child with a medical condition not that people would want that for their child but actually some of them they they are transformed into the most phenomenal parents who campaign and fight and advocate for their children and I think sometimes sadly when children die or if children actually learn the things themselves the parents feel a real bereavement so may as you say want to hang on to that because mm. that's something they feel they that's can how do loved them and, and how, how they've they cared them. for them and kept them alive yeah. and you know and suddenly they're going to have a very different relationship with them or a big gap in their lives and i think that's not to be underestimated either no that's really good no. um so is there anything about this reflection that could be done differently do you think it, it's always tricky isn't it when you think about a reflection because a reflection can just be a reflection for reflection's sake there doesn't yeah. necessarily need to be an outcome or a learning point or anything else it can no. just be I've described what this was it was powerful to me it was meaningful to me yeah. and these are the snippets that I took away I mean obviously the person who does this reflection says that they'll tell anyone who will listen about the camp <laughs> and has you know prepared a presentation about their experiences which is fantastic because yeah. it does sound like for a lot of people this is something they could um, be involved in and do yeah. really well yeah. so I, I actually really enjoyed I was really refreshed by this reflection yeah, and there wasn't an enormous amount that I feel would no would embellish it I want to hear more of the stories yeah. in fact and more of the laughs yeah. and jokes that yeah, happened absolutely. and so on yeah. um, I want to know if she learnt to use the fidget spinner I want to know you know so I didn't feel like there was anything missing from the account no. but as you said yeah there's always more that you can give I, um, I, what I loved was she um, she has written down it's a long reflection and reflections don't have to be long but actually each thing each section in it each reason part of it is is she's got a reason why she's put it in there so why is she put about this section well that that paragraph's about communication and she's topped up her communication skills again <laughs> this is about understanding that actually patients can teach us something and actually sometimes we need to just admit we don't know you know this bit's about her language so although there's quite a lot of words she in each section has said what she has learned from it and like Kate says it doesn't 
it doesn't have to be something that everyone else learns, but she has learned, and no doubt how she acts now, she will teach other people. Other people will learn. They'll listen to her language and say, oh, that, I like the way she said that, or, gosh, that was a great teenage conversation she had, or, wow, she didn't go straight in and just ask the parents. She asked the child, well, what do you do and how much do you do? Um, and I think that's it. Yeah, you could add even more by telling us how she's going to going to bring those back to her workplace and is there going to be anything more formal or structured or point out things for trainees you know and is this something that if she finds a an article about positive conversations now we've discussed that you know she can point those out to other trainees um, but actually in terms of her learning I think this is really clear that she has learned from it um, and that's what I want from reflection I want to be clear why she's put this on her why is this on her portfolio it's because she's learned so much well and because and I love it um I, ju- I love that bit at the end positive. I feel like I've pushed the professional reset yeah, button which absolutely. I just think is such a nice phrase because I think often you know when we work in demand and intense jobs we feel like what we need to do to replenish ourselves is do less or do nothing yeah yeah <laughs> and here's an example of someone who took a week of their time and went out and did, did more, more yeah and you know <laughs> and and felt better for it and isn't that a nice lesson yeah. that you know that there are other ways to recharge our yeah. batteries and I think we've all had that experience when you're involved in something that you really love doing at work that actually even though it's incredibly hard work and incredibly demanding you get such a lift off doing mm. something well be it a QI project or an audit or a piece of teaching and I think sometimes we let that um, slip from our minds yeah. though there is a place for just doing nothing as well. <laughs> <laughs> absolutely right I like the idea of being beach patrol it didn't sound like she sat there and did nothing no, on no, her beach no though. I know no, that's the name of the group sound quite intense the yeah. beach patrol yeah uh, brilliant so uh, do you have any tips or anything for reflections at all no I mean it's I think this this reflection to me is just a very authentic reflection and when you read reflections you can always feel the ones that have been written um, because they, the person wanted to write them yeah. and they wanted to gather their own thoughts and record them and, and sum up an experience or be it a positive experience or a negative experience describe it, sum it up show what they can take away from it or show what the points for development are and that in part is a therapeutic process sometimes mm. but it's often also such a powerful educational process um, and I just think that just emphasising how there are things we're told to reflect upon like resuscitations or conflicts with colleagues or conflicts with families and then there are things that we might be naturally drawn to reflect on and they're both equally valuable provided that they're written but the ones that are written from an authentic place where you're driven to write and record something are often the most powerful I don't know if you'd agree yeah I think so I think my feeling is always you should yes we have to reflect and and it's something I struggled with as a trainee as well, and I still have moments when I struggle with it as a consultant, when I think, oh, I, I know I want to reflect on this, but I'm not quite sure why. Um, but I think that's the key, is when you're writing a reflection, you think, why do I think this is something to reflect on? Did I come home from work chuntering about it, for whatever reason? Have I come home from work actually thinking, God, what a fabulous day? Well, reflect on it. What was about today that made it fabulous? And then think, which bits of that day can I replicate? Some of it may be totally out of your control, that, you know, actually you've got a full rotor and all your colleagues were there. And 
patients came in at a steady pace through the assessment unit and you dealt with them all really well and you made a marvellous diagnosis. And that's a great day, isn't it? Most of that's out of your control. But you can still take from that that actually you've got the confidence, you've made good decisions, you've processed people, you've probably managed some teaching in that as well. Um, you know, if you encourage more people into paediatrics, maybe we'll have a few more people yeah. on our rotors. You've had good relationships You've had with good your relationships colleagues. with parents. So I think you can always reflect on something. I think I always worry when the description of the event is longer than the reflection. I think that's time to have a little look at a redress and a rebalance because actually... We don't need, you don't need to know whether you gave point one of something as opposed to point two, or did you do something for five minutes and it should have been for six. I think it's about why did those things happen? Was it that we were all tired? Was it that I wasn't confident enough to say, I think we're doing it wrong, or I think we're doing it right, or can I be the leader? I think it's, it's about that. So I think my tip would be really think about why you're putting your reflection on there. Um, what is it that made you think that that was something to reflect on? Good, bad, indifferent, something you saw two other people doing? You know, what was, was that a great conversation you watched? Was that a really challenging conversation? I think that's, that's my tip. And an emph- emphasis on the why you're putting it on there and what you're learning from it, rather than the description of the event. You know, mm. that should be almost, you shouldn't be able to tell who that patient is or which hospital you were in or what happened, it should be a very basic statement and then the learning from that. That would be my, my tip. Yeah, wonderful. Oh, wow, thank you very much, both of you. I really enjoyed hearing you talk about that. Um, I learned a lot as well. Thank you. Thank you. That was, without doubt, one of the best reflections I've ever heard and puts anything I've written to shame. It shows a degree of insight and maturity that... I'm probably far too childish to be capable of myself. I think Kate and Gillian have highlighted a whole series of learning points we can take away from that reflection on top of what the trainee experienced themselves. I just wanted to thank the trainee who sent that reflection in to us. It's been fantastically inspiring. Head to our website, www.dragonbitespodcasts.com if you want to listen to any of our previous podcasts or want to know about our future upcoming ones. Join us again next week where I'll be discussing medical education with Pramod Vallabhaneni, a consultant general paediatrician and the paediatric educational lead for Wales. That's all for this week. Thank you for listening to Dragon Bites.